Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. Young people ask me, and others have asked me, why is the Bible important to us? Why are the scriptures so important to us? And I want to just say a few things to all of you about this. You are, you are going to be questioned more than we were questioned in our, in our time in the past about the Bible. Today, even preachers question portions of scripture. That's quite dangerous, by the way. But I have been in ministry a long time. I've been a Christian longer than I've been in ministry. 48 years in ministry and over 50 years as a Christian, that's a long time. And one thing I have found about the Bible, it is reliable. Not only is it reliable, it's the only book that you you cannot stop reading. You know, when, when people ask about how reliable is the Bible? Why did men write it? They want to know about inspiration of the scriptures. I was saying something to some of the staff in the back before I came out. I said, when you think about the Bible, those who wrote the Bible knew that what they wrote would mean their life. No book in the history of men, if you think about this with me, no one in the right mind would write against their own people because it would mean persecution. No American in his right mind would write a book exposing the sins of America because it would mean persecution. Nobody in their right mind would expose the sins of Russia. If they were Russian citizens, it could mean prison. No one in China would dare write against the Chinese government in a book. The Bible is the only book known in history where those who wrote it exposed the sins of the leaders of the nation. And the nation knowing it could mean death. That shows you inspiration. No one would write it without God telling them to. But but there's way more about the Bible that is so amazing to me. And that is it's the only book that has proven itself to be the word of God through the fulfillment of prophecy. So I've told you before, I'll tell you again. There is no book of any other religion that has prophecy in it, but the Bible. There are no prophecies in any, in any book, any religion. Go, go and see it. There are no prophecies in any religious book out there outside Christianity and Judaism, the Bible. Because they know if one prophecy would not be fulfilled, it will be the end of their religion. The Bible has 2,500 prophecies. So think about this for a minute. 
2,500 prophecies in Scripture. 2,000 have been fulfilled. What are the chances, humanly speaking, of even three being fulfilled? Zero. Lily, zero. But 2,000 of them fulfilled in incredible detail. My baby, that's my baby too, by the way, you know that, right? <laughs> fulfilled in detail. What are the chances that God would, would predict something and say something to the prophets like he did to Abraham in Genesis 15 when he described in detail what would happen to the Jewish people in Egypt and the time they would come back to the very spot where Abraham stood. And it happened. How about the details about Israel as a nation? How about the details about the nations that would rise and fall? And they did exactly as God said. Whether the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Medes and Persians after them, details. God even giving details about what the gates that Cyrus would walk through looked like hundreds of years before he walked through those gates. Only God. Only God. And think about all the prophecies fulfilled in the life of the Lord. Think about in Micah 5, the description, the detailed prophetic details of his birth. Where? And in Daniel, when? Even the time given of the Lord's birth. All in, all in the Bible. And to me, the most amazing of all, the details of the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. Such details. That he would be beaten with a rod on his head. His beard pulled off. And such incredible details in prophecy. There's over, think about this, over 332 prophecies just about the Lord's first coming. Just first coming. Fulfilled in details. No book can claim that. Not one. And so if anybody says to you, prove to me the Bible is true, tell them this. Or maybe you should ask them first, how many prophecies exist in and name the books of other religions? Most, most likely they don't even know themselves. And please tell them, zero. Then ask them, how many prophecies in the Bible? Probably they don't know either. 2,500. How many have been fulfilled? 2,000. How many to be fulfilled? 500. About the second coming of the Lord and the restoration of Israel as a nation. And the 500 to be fulfilled have a very high chance of fulfillment. Because 2,000 have been fulfilled already to prove that God is God. But God went beyond that. He went also proving to the world through history. We don't need, look, we don't need history. I don't need history. You don't need history. But there are people today that question the Bible. So God went into history. How many documents about Caesar, Augustus Caesar in the world today? Nine. Less than ten. And nobody questions that he even existed. 
How many about the Lord? 39. 39 documents in history. Most of those who wrote those documents were not even believers. Some were atheists. Yet, details in history about his life, his death, and resurrection. But there's even something even more powerful than history. It's called archaeology. Nobody will ever cause me to question what God is doing today through archaeology because I've been there, I've walked the land more than once. Most of you haven't been to Israel. I have. I've been to the Valley of Elah where David fought Goliath. I've even stood where the little creek is and took the rocks out of it from the brook. The same brook David took the rock out of, I took a rock out of it myself. It's still there. Or Gadara, where the demoniac came running down. I've been to that cemetery. Over 2,000 years old, you see it with your own eyes. I've done programs there. But the most exciting thing that ever happened to me is when I went to the Pool of Siloam that had been hid and covered with dirt for 2,000 years. No one even knew it existed because it sits lower than Temple Mount, south of Temple Mount, because Jerusalem is hilly, you know, a lot of hills. So here's the Pool of Siloam, way down there, and over the years and centuries, all the mud covered the Pool of Siloam. And then they built a village over it called Silwan in Arabic, from Siloam, Silwan, it's an Arabic Palestinian village. And a man called the city because his pipe broke. Water pipe broke. So the city came to fix the pipe. And as they were digging, they, they noticed there's something below the pipe. It was the city of David. And they began digging and digging and digging. And it made headline news worldwide that the pool of Siloam was found. 2,000 years it's been under mud. Nobody knew it existed. So now when they dug and found the pool, I happened to be there. And my guide said, you have to see this. I said, let's go. His name is Shuraga. Now Shuraga takes me to where the pool is, and I'm noticing that there are archaeologists digging to my right. They were, they were digging, and they found the steps mentioned in Ezra and Nehemiah, that go up to the city, from the city to Temple Mount. So I went in there, and I see these people with all kinds of bags and whatever, putting dirt in and sifting through this and that, and I got in there with them. <laughs> and they were digging over those steps that had been buried for 2,000 years. And I was there. And they were fine, and they were, they, they, there was thousands of coins in the mud. Somehow all the coins came down with their rain, I guess, over the centuries. And I took a bunch of coins in my own hand. They were full of dirt. I cleaned them up and stuck them in my pocket. <laughs> it was history, you know. I don't think they let me do that today, but anyways. And I'm thinking, this is incredible. People question the Bible, and I'm holding all these coins from Bible times in my hand. 
The Bible, people of God, the Bible cannot be questioned. No more. And today, Israeli archaeologists use the Bible for their own map of archaeology. They're using it for archaeology. So anyone who questions the Bible does not know the Bible. Did you hear that? Anyone who questions the Bible does not know what it says. It's the word of God. Hallelujah. So, all right. Now, let me just say a few things. You will never really understand the Bible without prayer. It's impossible to understand the Bible if you're not a prayer warrior. Because you'll be fogged. You will not see it or understand it. Did I ever tell you, did I ever ask you a question about, okay, I'll, let me do it because, you know, a lot of people forget things. Let's say I walked up to David, my son-in-law David right here, and I said, David, I'm giving you a new car for you and Lily. And you peep. <laughs> she just did this like, please. <laughs> Let's say one day God spoke to me to buy a car. Lord, don't talk to me now, please. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> you look at your daughter's face and you say, oh, no, I want to look, uh-uh-uh. I'm not going to look at her because she'll probably say, oh, please, Dad, please, Dad. But let's say the day comes when I buy a car. It's a gift. But it's no good without gas. I'll get you the car, but not the gas. You go get the gas. See? So God gives us a gift called life eternal. But he says, you go get the gas. What's the gas? The word. But, but, wait, wait. The car and the gas are no good without a key to ignite the engine. That's prayer. Hello. So you can have the gift and the gas, but without igniting it, no good. Right, David? Okay. So he says, good, Bob. By the way, they, they call me Bob. Don't you dare ever call me Bob. <laughs> they can, but thank you. I'm just having fun with you. But think about that the gift of life, life eternal, is a gift to you and me, just like I'd give him a car. God says, okay, you go get the gas for that car. You go get the word and what I said in it. That's your gasoline for life. But no good without igniting the engine. Prayer. So prayer today is so necessary because without it, the Bible cannot be understood or even believed. So in Matthew 7, the Lord said what? He said, ask, ye shall receive. That's in verse 7 to 11. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will open. So the poverty and, and the powerlessness of your average Christian today finds its explanation in the words of the apostle James in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you have not because you ask not. So why are people powerless? The answer is, they don't pray. 
You have not because you ask not. So, if you're seeing no progress in your Christian walk and life, if you're seeing no growth in it, there's only one answer. Neglect of prayer. If you're seeing no fruit, the answer is neglect of prayer. If you're also seeing no power against sin in your life, if you can't overcome your sin, the answer is simple, neglect of prayer. Because God has promised us his power. He placed it at our disposal. And all we have to do is ask for it. I'm going to say it again. God has given you all his power, placed it at your disposal for the asking, what are you waiting for? You have to ask. And the secret, though, is found in this awesome verse in the Bible. Because it's key here, okay? And that's in Acts 2.42. It says, they continued. They continued steadfastly. They continued. Prayer is not going to bring power if you only pray in emergencies. Prayer will have no power if you only pray when you feel like it. Prayer has got to become a part of your life daily. So don't pray just because problems are there. Pray to keep them away. Don't pray because some emergency has arisen. Prayer will keep emergencies away, just like Daniel did. And troubles will come, but you'll have the power in you to deal with it. Problems will come, but the power will be there to deal with it. You remember the old song? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Play it in the key you want. Because it says it all. Right? Keep playing. Oh, what needless pain that comes in we because we just don't pray. Why? We just don't want to pray. We do anything else but not pray. All because we have not carried everything. Stop there. Everything. I said what? Everything, even the little things, thank you, Greg, to God in prayer. It's that simple. So are you seeing no fruit? Are you seeing no power against sin? There's only one answer, neglect of prayer. There is a storehouse available to us, endless storehouse of power. And God Almighty, it says, delights to answer. He just waits for someone to ask. He delights. He's waiting for you to pray. Like in Jeremiah 33.3, he says, Call unto me. Please call unto me. 
In Jeremiah 33, he says, I want you to call, call unto me, and I will answer thee. And I will show thee great and mighty things that you don't even know. Just call. Now, you know, the body, the flesh hates that. We don't want to pray. I mean, the flesh just says, no, I don't want to because whatever. That's the one area Satan will fight you on every day. And so Paul said, put your body under subjection. Don't let your body tell you what to do. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Or like Psalm 50, verse 15. Dion, you mind helping me? Let's get a microphone to him somewhere, okay? Psalm 50, verse 15, Dion, please. David, if there's another mic, you pick one up too. Maybe you'll help me too. It doesn't matter. We'll just have Dion's. Okay. Dion, you mind? Please go ahead and read Psalm 50, verse 15. Because it's, it's, it's just, I really want to get this through to you. Please go, Dion. And call upon me in the day of trouble. Call upon me in the day of trouble and what? I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. God has promised to deliver us if we call. If we don't call, no deliverance. Everybody here needs to hear this. I need to hear this. We all need to, need to hear this. Why? Because we all have challenges. We all have troubles. We all have enemies. There is a devil out there. There are demons out there. There's a very hateful world out there. And we can literally see victory after victory after victory if you get on your knees long enough and stay. Just get on your knees long enough. And you'll see amazing miracles happen in your life. We all know they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength from you know, Isaiah. Well, let's just, let's begin. So, if people are too busy to pray, then they're too busy to have the power of God. If they're too busy to pray, they're too busy to have the power of God on their life. They can ask for God's power till they get blue in the face. It's not going to happen. The power of God has a price. It's called prayer. And what a privilege! So, great activity, no results. Why? Because the devil is not afraid of activity. He's only afraid of God and prayer will bring God on the scene. So the devil is not afraid of your activities. He's only afraid of God and only prayer can bring God on the scene in your life. So, would you say after me something? Say, prayer can do anything God can do. Say it again. One more time. You believe God can do anything? So can prayer. One more time. Prayer can do which means prayer is omnipotent, just like God. If prayer can do anything God can do, then prayer is omnipotent because God can do it all and prayer can do anything God can do, so let's pray. And Jesus says nothing 
is impossible to the one who prays, right? Nothing is impossible means nothing. Nada. Nothing will stop you. No miracle will be kept away from you. So, the arm of God responds to prayer. And hear this, all, not just some, all of God's infinite resources are at the command of prayer. All of God's infinite, eternal resources are yours when you pray. So prayer is the key. Say prayer is the key. key. Say it again. Prayer is the key that opens wide the inexhaustible storehouses of divine grace and power. Prayer is the key that opens up the inexhaustible, the limitless, limitless storehouses, not just one, of God's grace and God's power. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, ask it shall be given, seek you'll find, knock it shall be opened. So God will swing wide open the doors of his divine treasures only to those who get on their knees. Say, treasures are waiting for me. Divine treasures. The door will swing open when I get on my knees. So there's no limit then to what prayer can do in your life. And like I said, since all things are possible to God, all things are possible to prayer. Now let me, let me talk to you about some, some things that will really help you here. Real prayer, when you begin to pray, the first thing God will, will reveal to you is you. Because the second God reveals you to you, you will see your emptiness. And then you will throw yourself on him. When God revealed Isaiah to Isaiah, he says, I'm undone. Woe is me. My lips are not clean. And that is so amazing because in Isaiah, let's go to Isaiah 6, please, Dion. In Isaiah 6, verse 5, he cries out because why? God reveals his true heart when he began praying. God revealed his utter powerlessness. Isaiah saw his own powerlessness that he cannot do anything for himself. Because what prayer really does first, it dismantles you. Prayer has to dismantle you first. And then God will build you back up. God cannot trust any individual who is not pliable. Prayer makes you pliable. That God can do anything he wants with you. Prayer keeps you where you are able to surrender. And prayer is born out of scripture, not the other way around. So today I'm reading Jeremiah. I read my Bible four times, uh, sorry, three times a year. And every four months I read it what, like right through. So I'm now in Jeremiah. I began reading it two months ago. 
So now this is the, this is the third month. And I'm already in the prophets. And I break it down to where one month I read the books of the law. One month the historical books. And when I'm done with the historical books, I begin with the, with the books like, you know, Isaiah and so on. The prophetic books. And when July 1 hit, I was already reading the book of Isaiah. This is July 9. I'm now in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7. I go in like a train. But God has given me the ability, but I didn't have that when I was young, to retain it. That retention cannot happen in, in a year or two. It takes time. You become accustomed to the word by reading it because the beautiful word is a hammer that breaks your brain in pieces. It removes all the obstacles out of the way. It's a fire that burns and a, and a hammer that breaks. And the more it breaks you, the more you see that the, the amazing truth in it. It's like we don't realize how much rock is behind our eyes. Worldly rocks. And God has to smash those rocks over time. And now they get out of the way and the light starts shining in. Hello! I said, I said that just to wake you up. You need every servant to be awakened. Because we don't realize how much flesh is in there. You see, the more you live, the more that flesh builds up itself with, within you. The more you neglect, the more flesh gets in there. And the more you pray, the less flesh is in there. Because God breaks it. And then your eyes get wider and bigger and you're, you can see more clearly and you're really, you understand what God is saying and you see who's talking this time. Is it, is it you know, God or is it the, the prophet? Sometimes you cannot tell who's talking. But as your eyes clear up, you can. Did you just know what I said? Okay, sometimes when you read the book of Isaiah or Jeremiah, the men themselves are complaining to God about something he said to them. But you can't see it if you're not clear in your head. Because it confuses you. But there's no confusion when the rocket, when all the stuff is out. So time, it's like the hammer breaking that thing inside of you and now it's cleaning out of you. So I'm reading to, and watch, watch. You can't pray properly with, with too much rock behind you or inside your head. You know what I mean by that, right? Too much fog, too much flesh, too much world in there, and it takes time to break through that thing. But the more you see, the more you pray. I hope you got what I said. The more you see the word, the more you see clearly, the more you see the revelation of the word. So when God is speaking to Jeremiah, and your eyes are clearer, I hope you know what I just said. Well, if you don't, because you're not there yet. The Bible is powerful because it cleans your head for you without you trying to clean it. You see, this, this brain of yours and mine is always catching pollution from outside. And it, it gets very dirty and very foggy, just like a wick on a candle. And it gets thick with dirt and thick with this stuff that the world gives you. But the Bible keeps it clean. The more you read, the cleaner it gets. And it's so important to keep the Bible coming at you daily because dirt is coming at you faster than you realize. I hope you heard what I said. 
because we are being hit by every, from every direction with the filth of humanity and the filth of the world. And today is way, way more difficult than even back in the 70s because every, you know, anytime you open anything, even your phone now, even whatever, it, it, it's, it's just coming at you from all sides. Keep the wick clean through the scriptures or the light will not shine. And if the light doesn't shine, you won't see a thing when you read the Bible. So prayer, it's like, it's like when you read the word, the light is really quick. God's light can get through there easily. And he quickens you to pray. And when he quickens you to pray, you pray in the spirit. It's not something you, you, you invent. It's not something you, you, you come up with. It's the prayer of the spirit in you comes out of you. It happened to me today. That's why I can talk about it. And suddenly when you're praying, you're touching the heart of God with that, that beautiful prayer because it's not you praying. It's really coming from the depth of your being, like from your depth of your being, because it's born by the Spirit. And, and, and that is where the reality of the Lord becomes so real. Jackie, come here. Come on, come here. Now last night something happened. Last night something happened. So I was in prayer all day. Now this young man is pure. We call him the gentle giant. It's pure. So you know, I, I, I like cooking. I enjoy myself. and I'm very good at soup. I make the best lentil soup you'll ever taste in your life. I'm giving you a little story. And Michael and Jesse love my soups. So last night, he's standing there, and I'm cooking this soup, and I made Pakistani soup. I just saw it, and I wanted to do the same soup. And they do a lot of spices in it. So I tried new things with my soup. So I said to him, can't you smell it? He said, I cannot smell. He said, I have not been able to smell for two years, because he had COVID. He couldn't smell anything. And the Lord said, pray for him now. I'm in my kitchen. Chad is somewhere in the back. My son and Luis are just coming in. And I said, Chad, get over here quick. Well, he was taking his time like normal. <laughs> and he didn't move that quick. He was just taking his time. Chad, get over, because I, the, I felt the part of God so strong, I knew, and I did not want to catch him. <laughs> he's too big for me to catch, okay? Something, and, and he's already wobbling. And oh dear God, no, not here. This is the kitchen here. There's a soup blowing, there's a soup here going up, and I think oh, the soup will fall, and I'm gonna be burned by the soup. Chad, where are you? He comes running, and he hits the floor. And when he hits the floor, Joshua walks in, and Luis, and they got scared. They said, uh-uh, we're not coming near. <laughs> Luis says, my God, I can feel it. You felt it when you walked in. I did, I, did. I felt it. And Joshua, they felt the anointing, and they said, uh-uh, we're not coming near you. Because he's on the floor, and I'm holding the spoons. <laughs> I'm just fixing the soup, but the guy is gone. He comes up and he wham again. 
But now, tell them what happened. Completely, for the first time in two years, I can smell. Like, it was like I got brand new legs. Like, it was amazing. He can, he was able, wait, sit down, sit down. Sit down. When you pray, God will use you in your kitchen. And that's what happened. So I said, hey, I've been in prayer all day in the, in the word. And he said, I can smell. He was able to smell the coriander. I never had coriander in my soup. He was able to smell the paprika that he did not know existed. He didn't even know there was a paprika. You smelled it all. No, I never, I never smelled paprika like ever. And he had always told me like, you got to smell this. You got to smell this. And I never told him that I couldn't smell it. And, and then last night, I'm like, I want to smell paprika. So I smelled it, and I was blown away. You hit the floor so hard? Dear God, it took... Poor Chad was having a hard time getting up. Finally, he showed up. He, he showed up just on time, because I was afraid I may have to catch him, right? Like, on time. Bye, Jackie. Thank you. His name is Jackson, but we call him Jackie. Anyways, I'm trying to tell you what God can do with you in your kitchen if you just talk to him. Yes. Hello? Yes. Do you want God to use you like this? Yes. Lift your hands. Father, in Jesus' name, let them, let them experience this. Lord, what happened yesterday, let them see it in the kitchen too. And the people said? Yes. You know, there's an old book called Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence that's all I'm talking about. You just talk to God while you're fixing your soup. And you cannot stop because the rock is out. Or the blockage is gone. You, you know what I mean by the rock, right? I mean that worldly stuff that builds up in you. It gets so hard like a rock in there. The word of God will break it. Just give God the tools and give him the time to do it. So if you don't give God the Bible... He can't use it. The word of God, my darling baby Lily, triggers fellowship. And when it triggers fellowship, you can't help but talk to him even when you're vacuuming the floor. Because it's in you. You're in your car driving. I love driving on the A1A because it's nice. And I'm by myself. Usually these guys drive me, but one day a week I'm by myself. It's Monday. My favorite day is Monday, tomorrow, thank God. <laughs> and I like to drive. And I'm driving, listening to worship and, oh, talking to God. And sometimes I forget what I'm doing. But the thing is, it becomes a part of your life where you just cannot stop talking to the Lord. Why? The Word is working. If the Word isn't in you, there's no trigger. Okay. But what I'm telling you here, there is a storehouse of power that will become available to you with Pakistani soup around. <laughs> Miracles will happen with you in places you don't have to be singing hallelujah. You don't need a Gregory behind you. You don't need to be singing for a 45 minutes to bring God. No, he's there already through his word, through his word. The word will always trigger and birth fellowship with God. And that kind of prayer, people of God, is so amazing because what happens, it's happened to me, 
it really reveals you to you first and you are the second, the second God reveals you to you, you break. Look, look with me at uh, Isaiah 6 verse 8 and 9 because the next thing you see after he says I'm undone, now God begins to use him. Because God says, whom shall we send? I'm here, Lord, send me. That was the result of a revelation of who Isaiah was. He saw his emptiness and helplessness. So God says, whom shall we send? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Then he said, here am I, send me. Why? Why did he do that? Because by that time he knew he cannot do it on his own. God had to reveal Isaiah to Isaiah and how helpless Isaiah was, and how empty Isaiah was, and now when he saw his emptiness, God says, are you ready for work? Because only God can fill that empty void. He doesn't want you in there, he wants himself in there. Same thing happened to Moses. What happened with him at the burning bush? He saw his own helplessness too. He said, I cannot do it. Or Job who said, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And I love what David said in Psalm 139, 23. He said, search me, Lord. Search me. If there's anything in me, get it out. Lead me in, in, in the way everlasting, he said that. People don't, don't pray that who are not prayer people. The second you pray, you want God to fix everything up inside of you. Because you become broken. You become helpless. And you say, please Lord, search me. And, 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 and let me see my, my utter emptiness. Create room, Lord, for yourself in my life. That's what you're saying. That's why he said, search me. He was saying, create room for you, Lord. Because I don't want me in there. The second thing that you'll see happen in your life, which I think is incredible... Only prayer has power to cleanse our hearts from sin. You can't be free from sin without prayer. It's impossible. In Psalm 19, David said something powerful about prayer because he prayed that prayer. And since he prayed that prayer, he was showing us there's power in it. And in verse 12 and 13, he said this, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults or secret sins. There's a lot of sins we don't even know about. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I'll be upright and then I'll be innocent from the great transgression. And he was afraid of what? Apostasy. Great transgression is, Lord, I don't want to lose you. So prayer like that is saying to God, Lord, I don't want any sin to run my life. I want you to run my heart and life. But only prayer will do that. And I love when David prayed in Psalm 51 to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Wow. So all, you know, only and always an answer to prayer, God will cleanse our hearts from sin. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. The Holy Spirit, I, you know, I got to say something to all of you because I, I sense the Lord in my heart wanting me to say something that I need to say. 
there are times when we're distracted. We're distracted by family troubles, work troubles, staff troubles, all troubles, all kinds of troubles. And we're not able to be alone with God. And we find that the more we neglect, the harder it, it, it is to get back. Because that uh, rock, that something, that flesh, that world builds itself up in us and now we become cripples again. We can't move just right. We're not pliable anymore. We, it's, it's tough to break this thing in us. And in those times there's danger. Because the price of neglect is very high. And then you find that things begin to happen to you that you don't want to happen to, such as your hunger for the word begins to diminish. Your faith in the word begins to weaken. You start to question things. But the most dangerous thing of all is your heart gets cold towards the Lord. And then you're on danger, you're on dangerous grounds. And this is where that old flesh comes back. And that's where the demons of the past show up again. Be careful. Be not conformed to this world by neglect. Because neglect gets you, brings you back into that old life you had. It's dangerous to neglect prayer. So now, since you have all these distractions we all do, then do yourself a favor. Get up before they get up. Wake up before they wake up. The older I am getting, the earlier I am praying. Because my family is becoming more dependent on me. So I like to get up before they are awake. And that's my time with the Lord. And then before I sleep, same thing. Start your day with them and end your day with them. And the middle of the day can belong to your people, your staff, your family, and whatever else. But learn something Jesus had to learn himself. Get up before they're up. That is something I'm discovering works all the time. Because I stay strong. I'm not, uh, I'm not able to be pulled away. There's no one to pull me away. They're all asleep. And I put my phone on, don't disturb, because I know they're asleep. And I do something maybe you sweet people don't like to do. I have all their locations. <laughs> so as long as they're not moving, I keep praying. <laughs> Are you listening? I look at their locations, oh, they're home, 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 good. Go into silence, silent mode. Don't disturb mode, they're sleeping still. But I'm just marvelously having a great time. And then, at some point, I'm done, and they are just, they're just beginning. Because you know, when you get older, your kids need you. And such things. And that's normal. That's normal. And you love it because you're needed. And you, it gives you a reason to be alive, you know. And you adore your family. And I do. They all know that I, I call them all very much. 
maybe too much. But that's just the way I am. But the thing is this, I have found a secret. David said, early will I seek thee. Early is better than late. Because the devil can pull you away. Quick. Don't give him the chance. Be strong. And you get strong when you're alone. You're strong when they're not, forgive me, there's no distractions. That are needed in life. We all have that. But when you do it, your strength comes back. And remember something about God. There are no leftovers with God's power. You cannot use yesterday's experience to live today. Please hear that. We literally, we, every day, fresh power. Every day, fresh revelation. Every day, fresh anointing. Every, every day, the presence of God has got to come back because yesterday's don't work. I've learned one thing about God, no leftovers in the kingdom. Say no, no leftovers in the kingdom. In other words, you can go to sleep with the power of God and when you wake up, he's, he's gone. Because he demands fresh time with him. He sent manna every day. It didn't stay overnight. Every morning. And that's just the way it is. Very important what I just said to you. Because a lot of believers, oh, I had such a great time last night. Yeah, last night is gone. It's not coming back. God is left. Call upon him now. Because now he'll come back again. If you neglect him, it's over. Now, the other thing that is so powerful, are you enjoying this? Yes. I'm enjoying it more than you. Because see, when I preach, I preach to myself too, not just you. And that's the best time. The best teachings I've ever given is when I taught myself. You young preachers learn that. The best sermons I've ever preached, I preached to myself. Because when you preach to yourself, they're listening too. All right. Prayer has power to keep you from falling. Because David said in Psalm 17 verse 5, Hold up my goings in your path, that my footsteps slip not. Wow. He was praying. He said, Lord, hold me up. Because I cannot hold myself up. So when you pray, you keep walking with God. If you don't pray, you're, you're, you're going to slip. So it's time to be held up. And only fellowship with God will do that. Think about this. Jesus himself warned his disciples. He said, pray that you enter not into temptations. But they did not listen to him. What he was saying is pray that you be held up. Like David said, hold me up, Lord. But they did not listen. They slept. And when temptations came, they all failed. Because they did not do what, what the Lord said. Yet Jesus spent that night in prayer. And when temptations came against him, which they did... Think about the temptations that came against him. Dear Lord, they could have swept us all away, but he was triumphant gloriously. 
That prayer in Gethsemane did it. Lily, David, think with me, all of you sweet people of God. He goes from the garden to the house, to the house of Caiaphas. They put him in a dungeon. By this time he has bled twice. His sweat became blood, and now his face was unrecognizable. They beat his precious face. He was bleeding. They put him in a dungeon all night long. No food, no water. They bring him out of the dungeon. He goes to the praetorium, and now they whip him. And they place a crown of thorns on his precious head. And he carries his cross. Physically, he's exhausted. And he falls. And Simon of Cyrene is called to help him. He goes to Golgotha. Think about his weakness in the flesh, how weak he was. Because it says he died in weakness. He died in weakness. He's on the cross. And the whole time, he would not even look at them when their hostility became demonic. It says in Hebrews how hostile they became towards the Lord. Such hostility, it's, it's unimaginable to us as human beings. Can I read it to you for a minute just to see you, uh, to show you, I, I should say, what the Lord had to go through that you and I will never have to go through? Listen to this. For consider him, Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured such contradictions or hostility of sinners against himself. Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Think about the hostility that he put up with. The hatred he put up with. And yet he was gloriously victorious. What did it? Gethsemane did it. Prayer did it. That when he hung on the cross and they were mocking him, if you're the son of God, come off that cross and prove yourself. To the last minute, they were mocking him, speaking against him. But he was so peaceful. He could say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with all that hostility coming at him, he said, forgive them, they know not what they... What did it? Gethsemane. He understood that that prayer will keep him right through victoriously to the end. That's the power of prayer, people. So he said to his disciples, you need to pray so you don't fall into temptation. What happened? They left. 
Peter denies him. The others forsook him. But Jesus stood against all that hostility and hatred because he knew how to pray. It's time we do it. It's not that difficult, believe me. It's not that difficult at all. I'm almost done. But let me, let me show you something else that prayer will do when you really pray. Prayer will uh, govern your tongue. The Bible says in Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. Because the Bible says in James 3.8, the tongue can no man tame. You can't even control it. Only those who pray can control their tongue. Because don't ever forget, many have been destroyed by the power of the evil tongue. Words have even caused death. And only prayer can keep people from saying destructive words. So David said, set a watch over my tongue, Lord. Do you notice how when you pray, you're nice to people? You don't say nasty things about them? Because that's what prayer does. It controls your tongue. If you have a tongue problem, get on your knees. It'll fix it all up. I'm serious. And then something else about prayer. Prayer can give you wisdom for direction in life like nothing else. You can have the very wisdom of God himself if you pray. You'll never make the wrong move, wrong decisions. Think about how many people have made a mess of their life because they did not ask God, should they do this and that. Think about how many people have been divorced because they didn't pray enough, is this the right wife or the right husband? They rushed into it without even asking God. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me thy ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Only prayer can really do that. Only prayer can help you walk in truth. Only prayer can un unite your heart to fear the Lord's name. Only prayer can give you God's wisdom. Psalm, tw Psalm 25 and verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. How? When I call on you, you will. And here's something that I had this morning happen. Prayer has power to open your eyes to behold wondrous things out of the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wondrous things. When you pray... Difficulties vanish, obscure patches become clear like day. Old familiar portions of the Bible become luminous with new meaning, new power. I have found one thing. Prayer will do more than any theological education because only prayer can open the Bible like no one else can open it for you. Shall I repeat that? Prayer will do more for you than any theological education because only prayer can open the book. Only prayer can make the Bible clear. Without prayer, you won't even understand it.
No, it's not about knowledge. It's about the knowledge of the Lord. And the knowledge of the Lord comes only through prayer when you get to know Him because you've been spending time with Him. And when you get to know Him, the Bible becomes very clear and simple to understand. So it's better than theology or any education because prayer will do more than, the, than any education in theology. Because when you read the Bible, because you've prayed, the scales come off. So simple, really. I'm not boasting, but I understand the Bible today way more than I did when I was a, when I was a pastor. I was preaching not long ago for John Kilpatrick, and he stood up, he said, a deep work has happened in Benny Hinn because of the things he said today. Well, I don't talk about it, but pe people can tell, because out of the heart, the mouth talks. I was in Washington, uh, or I should say Maryland, a few days ago, preaching for Don Mears. I've known him for years. He said the same thing to me privately. He says, God has done something in you. I said, Pastor Don, I opened my eyes with the Bible and closed my eyes with the Bible. He says, it's evident now. I said, you know what? I've made up my mind. I'm going to finish stronger than I began. And there's only one way I know to do it. The Word. Just the Word. There's no other, there's no other answer. Nobody wants to die as a failure. Nobody wants to die having blown it. You want to die right. You want to die with a smile on the Lord's face. Kent Maddox years ago, a man who worked with me said to me, he said, what do you want when you see Jesus? What gifts you want? What crowns do you want? I said, I don't want a thing except one thing. I want a smile. He said, what? I said, when I saw him, and I was a little, just a little boy in, in Jaffa, Israel, I had a vision of the Lord. I said, he smiled. I'll never forget the smile. I said, all I care to is to see that smile again. I said, God doesn't have to give me a thing except the smile. That's all I want. Because that's all we want. So we'll be accepted in His sight. Who wants to make heaven and be rejected? That we might not be ashamed, Paul said. We might not be ashamed on that day. And finally... And I've experienced it and so have you. The Holy Spirit comes only when we pray. Wow. Only when you pray He comes. If you want to gaze into the face of God, it's only one way. In prayer we gaze into His face. Without prayer we don't. And beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord were transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Back in the 70s, I began to understand this and experience it. Now in my older years, I'm experiencing it in a deeper way, in a, mo in a most unusual way. I don't know how else to describe it because when you're... When you're young, you, you, you see God with different lenses. And then when you get older, those lenses change. They become a lot clearer, a lot more focused. Maybe it's a better word. And the thing that is so remarkable is, when I was young, I needed visions. I don't know. I needed visions. I'll never forget 
in fellowship with God was April of 74. It was an amazing month, I think, of my life. It was April of 74. And I'm talking to the Lord that whole year. That whole year was heavenly. But one night, I'm talking to him. And five fingers, I felt five fingers brushing my hair like this. I felt the fingers of the Lord. And I said, dear Jesus, please, not now. Because I got scared. Because the second his hand touched me, I felt electricity go through my body. And then I felt his hand over my chest. I felt five fingers touch my body. Please, dear Jesus, not now. I got scared. Today, I don't need to feel his hand. It's a deeper walk. Catherine Kuhlman talked about a dream she had before she died. I heard her tell the story. She said she had a dream of three people kneeling before the Lord. And the Lord came in this dream. And the first person he hugged and held. And the next person he simply tapped on the shoulder. And the third person he just smiled at and walked away. And in the morning, Ms. Kuhlman got up. She said, Lord... In that dream, why did you hug the first and you tapped the second and you just smiled at the third? Oh, he said, the first one needed my love. The second one needed just a little encouragement. But the third one was strong. Wow. So when you're young, that's what happened to me in the 70s. As you got older, when you got old, he just walks and smiles. No hug and no touch. I don't need the hug today or the touch. Just a smile. Lift your hands and say, Lord, I need that too. Because when you're strong, he doesn't need to treat you like a baby. Because you have the word now ministering to you. He uses his word to minister to us. Young people like me back then, you need the experience. Today, just the Bible will do. Just the Bible will do. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit JesusImage.tv.